Welcome to the Predlines podcast. Uh, it's Michael Wade, as usual, joined by uh, co-experts Corey Francis and George Matarangas. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll change things up this week and start with you, George. How are you doing, man? Uh, it's starting to snow, and I'm not loving it, but uh, I don't know. It's also time for holiday parties, yeah. so I'm loving that. It's kind of a give-and-take situation. Right. Right. We actually got a few a few snowflakes here yesterday, so when that's when it's snowing in Nashville, you know it's it's getting to be that time. <laughs> and speaking of Corey, how how are you handling the uh the brutal southern winter? Oh, this is nothing. I've 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 had uh uh, uh eighteen inches and twenty eight inches of snow in my backyards before and so this is the little flurry we had earlier is is nothing at all. So I'm doing absolutely pretty well, so yeah, the the biggest danger down here is really people reacting to the uh, the conditions rather than the conditions themselves. But so far, so good. Uh, sun came out today, so hopefully everyone will calm down, watch the Titans game, relax a little bit. Anyway, uh, it's it's been a pretty light uh, light week in terms of hockey. Just two games since we last did an episode. Uh, Nashville going into Dallas and getting it done with a, a five two win, and then. Uh, taking a shootout loss to Vegas's first ever visit to Nashville. Uh, so we'll start with this this Dallas game. Obviously, uh, I guess the, the biggest headline kind of going in was that uh, UC Saros uh, got the start between the pipes. I thought he, uh, just to kind of jump right in, I thought he played quite well. He certainly had to face a lot of shots. Um, and bailed Nashville out a couple times, but really the the Predators' offense seemed to be kind of capable of, of overcoming anything, um, as, and which was a, a bit of a relief to see, uh, obviously, with Johansson missing that game as well and the lines being uh, shifted around. So, uh, George, what were your kind of initial takeaways from this, this 5-2 win in Dallas? Uh, the big thing was capitalization on your chances. The Predators had uh, 18 scoring chances and seven high-danger scoring chances, and from them they had... Uh, I believe it was two high danger goals, uh, four at five on five, which is great. Um, but they they were just so bad in front of UC Soros. I mean, he really had to bail them out at pretty much every step of the way. They gave up uh, they gave up thirty six chances or scoring chances, and they gave up sixteen high danger chances uh, solely at five on five. And we we know how well Pecorini has been playing, but. If if UC Saros had only given like an average performance, I think that this game would have been six five Dallas, or maybe even, yeah, maybe even worse. I UC Saros bailed them out a lot, and it's nice to see the offense scoring goals. But Saros and Rene aren't going to play like this forever, and they really need to tighten up on defense if they if they want to go deep in the playoffs. Yeah, you know, you and I were talking before that game, and I, I kind of predicted maybe Nashville to lose that one unless, uh, you know, unless there was an absolutely stunning goaltending performance. Which, you know, no, no discredit to Soros, but I, I think Rene has just been on another level this year of bailing this team out. And I was a little worried that Soros wouldn't be able to deliver that kind of performance, but he sure did. And, and like you said, I mean, that really was. Without without that performance from him, I mean this this result would have been a lot different, um, even with the kind of, the kind of lightning offense that we saw. Um, of course, you know, not trying to not trying to compare Nashville's offense to the Tampa Bay Lightning because that would be yeah. ridiculous. But uh, you know, you know what I mean. Uh, Corey, what were your what were your thoughts on the Dallas game? Um, you know, it's pretty much the same. I mean, it's 
had Soros not bailed out the Predators as much as he did, it would have been an ugly game going the other way. It looked like it was going to be a great game. I mean, we were up, you know, five nothing going into the, to the you know, the, the third period there, and and it's just Soros just did everything, and and no one on the Predators did anything. I mean, if you look at all the all the Corsi four stats and everything, like no one had higher than a thirty seven Corsi stat in five on five the entire game. I mean, it was it was dominated in terms of possession by the Dallas Stars. And, you know, give props for props are due. Cody McLeod got a goal. Uh, Pontus Arlberg got a, uh, got a goal as well. I mean, you started to see some of these uh, players on the, on the latter lines, um, you know, kind of produce a little bit. But still, it was all about what Soros was able to do in goal and, and keep the Predators from uh, giving up, a you know, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory again. Right, as, as they tend to do. Um, the, you know, I, I, of course, Cody McLeod got his first goal. Pontus Aver got his first goal. So there were offensively, there were some highlights, but I think, I think we're all in agreement that it was a, it was a pretty good example of how Nashville's defense can really, and, and the back checking forwards, uh, can really let down a goaltender. And, and it's been a, a kind of a lingering concern of mine all year, even though the results have been coming, you know, it, it the defense crumbles a little too easily. And I thought, um, the Dallas game was a pretty good and, and luckily a harmless example of, of uh, you know, that sort of weakness. Hopefully enough of those performances will finally trigger a response from Nashville and, and get them to change something proactively before uh, the results kind of start tumbling. In uh, this one, you know, I, I, again, we, we like to use this phrase at Predlines quite a bit because it fits so well, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, uh, which I would describe this Vegas uh, result as. To Watching the game, Vegas looked to be the much better side. Nashville was really having trouble getting through the neutral zone. The passing was just really, really bad, mostly from the Predators. You know, the defensive lapses, the whole the whole nine yards of of you know, ways that Nashville could really mess this game up. But then when I looked at some of the kind of the possession stats, I noticed that really na- this was just Nashville's game to win. They had so many chance, you know, sh- so many shot attempts, but so few of them actually, um, you know, turned out to be decent scoring chances. They only had uh, four high danger chances at five on five and all three of their goals came from those chances. So it's really kind of puzzling, you know, I, I put, you know, in my little stats breakdown of this game in the article, I, I said, why, you know, why isn't the coaching staff turning to the players and just telling them, look, the 75% of the shots from this area are going in. Every, no one take a shot from anywhere else the rest of the game. Everyone has to shoot from this area because it just seemed like such an obvious weakness that they could exploit um, with Vegas and, and Malcolm Sume perhaps. And then, I'm a little frustrated that they didn't pick. They didn't recognize that sooner and, and take this game in regulation. Uh, and obviously, you know, they they nearly did take it in regulation. It, it took a, a very last minute equalizer from Vegas to take it to overtime. George, uh, I guess uh, you know it's it's easy to pick this this game apart, but maybe something positive you noticed about this performance against the Golden Knights? PK Subban. Uh, PK Subban ended the night with a seventy Corsi, a sixty-eight. Fenwick, uh, that is over 20 points uh, over the relative for for, Fenwick, for uh, his Fenwick score for the rest of the team, which means he was just killing it the entire night. Um, uh, while he was on the ice, he only, he only gave up six shots, and 
he was on for three goals for, with zero against, and including only one high-danger chance against. The guy was a madman, and he played against James Neal, David Perron, and um, I think it was something Nozick on the first line for the entire night. And then when he wasn't playing against them, he was playing against um, the third line with like Alex Tuck and uh, and some some other players like that, which are they're not obviously uh, James Neal, but they're still they're still pretty. That's a pretty deep third line, I'd say. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oof. He he was great, I, in my opinion. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, it just comes down to like high danger chances. They just they couldn't stop giving up shots in the slot, and then they were great when they actually did get shots in the slot. But they couldn't actually they couldn't actually do it that often. They, they said only four times in sixty right. minutes, or I guess it was like fifty minutes, including penalties. But and Corey, are you uh, are you convinced that James Neal? We let James Neal go for. Uh, it, was that a mistake? Were you were you impressed enough by his return? Uh, I mean, I was impressed by his return. I mean, he's he did what he's supposed to do. He he, you know, sniped a goal from a slot where he it was a wide open net for him. I mean, he he did what he was supposed to do. But you know, seeing Yarncroft uh, come back and and score right after that, you know that. I hate to say, you know, it's it's karma or this the great story writing because you know everybody's going to sit there and say. You know, we let James Neal go. We really miss him, and we should have kept him. But then, of course, yeah, as it would be, Yarncroke comebacks with a, a goal not too long after that because that's exactly how the story should be written. Um, what, the other, but the two players that really impressed me were Benino and actually Pontus Aberg. I thought mm-hmm. Aberg had a really solid game. He actually had a really good high-danger scoring chance later on uh, that obviously didn't go. You know, didn't work for him, but he's showing me some life lately. And I, and I think that's a great sign for him coming out of what uh, the abyss that was the beginning of the season for him. And then Benino with uh, just, just grit and tenacity uh, trying to get that goal from behind the net, you know, just kind of be in the right space, right time and sw- uh, swiping a goal in that I think, uh, well, that was early, I guess. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was that game too. He, I think he had two goals in a row, didn't he? Uh, two games in a row. Um, yes, I believe you're right. So I mean, he's he's starting to show me some things too, which is as like it's about time. Those are the two that really kind of impressed me in the whole game. Yeah, you know, it, it sounds like the team's getting pretty close to having you know Hartnell come back, have Johansson back. So the the forward lines are are going to be shaken up a little bit uh, probably in the next week or so. So it is good to see some of the guys. Um, you know, you think of maybe Aberg, maybe uh, Freddie Goudreau, some of these guys that are are at risk of getting sent back down. Um, it, it's nice to see them step it up. I, I think Goudreau's been unfortunately a little invisible lately. He, he tends to be he has a little bit of that RV hustle, as they like to say. You know, he he's always getting himself in the way and and uh, kind of trying to disrupt things on the forecheck, but things have really been falling for him. But it is nice to see a guy like Pontus Aberg, uh, you know, he got that goal in Dallas and, and just start to impress a little more, um, you know, with a, a potential ros- big roster decision having to be made pretty soon. And and speaking of the, the forward lines, it sounds like, you know, obviously – um, just you know, I guess so. We're all on the same page. You know, Johansson. Uh, we, we, he missed. He's been absent since before the Boston game. Uh, he left uh, left the game early and, and didn't return. And and then since then, they've the team has put him on, I guess, retrospective injured reserve, which would mean he could come back. Uh, you know, today he could be back as early as 
as their next game. Um, so he's since he's been missing for a few games and we've gotten to see some of these other lines, I guess there's a possibility that maybe, you know, this Jofa line wouldn't fall right back into place if, if the team's been impressed enough by the kind of the replacement lines. Uh, George, do you think it's a real possibility that, that we'll see Johansson not come back to his usual role between uh, Forsberg and Arvidsson? Uh, no, it's probably going to happen. Uh, Laviolette's a creature of habit. He really likes what he thinks is going to keep working for him, even if maybe doing other things works a little bit better. Um, I don't know. I really like the way that the tourists, Fiala, and Smith lines uh, done against, or they've played against other teams' first lines. And uh, I think they played much better over the last two games. Uh, not so much against Dallas, but definitely against Vegas. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I just. I guess you kind of think about where Johansson fits in and who he knocks out. Uh, definitely knocks out probably Freddie Goudreau. But does he take Yarncroke's spot in between uh, Forsberg and Auberg, or does he take Benino's spot between Sissons and Arvidsson? I'm not so sure. Um, I would probably. I'd be more willing, I guess, to put him in Bonino's spot just because Sissons and uh, Arvidsson aren't really uh, needle movers. And so it's. I think it'd, it'd probably be, it would definitely uh, positively affect Arvidsson's game and kind of bring it up to where he has been before Johansson was injured. Um, I don't know. I I guess just because it's so simple, you probably you probably just reunite the Jofa line as, as is. Yeah. Corey, are you are you thinking along the same lines, or have you have you noticed anything out of the the kind of reworked forward lines that that you'd like to see uh, the team maintain? You know, I I, I think they're going to go back to what they've what they know, uh, what what's been successful for them. I mean, Arvidsson's been uh, you know still showing some showing uh, life and what he's doing, and Forsberg is Forsberg, obviously, but the combination of those three is just is just too potent. Um, and and keeping the tourist line obviously together, you know, the, I, I think that's that's going to be the best things for the team. That's where they were the most successful. And and there's been a little bit of that lack of of passion, lack of fire um, in the team since Johansson's been down. I mean, he hasn't maybe hasn't scored as many goals as we like to see him do, but there's definitely a, a physical presence and a an energy that you that's not deniable when. Um, when he's in the, when he's on the ice, so I think they're going to go back to what they've done before. Uh, again, agreeing, agreeing with George, what's what's going to happen with the other you know the corresponding roster moves? Is Goudreau going to uh, go down and, and and be placed on the fourth line, or is he going to go back down to Milwaukee? Who, what's going to happen there uh, afterwards? But they've got to go. I think going back to the Jofa line is, is what's needed for this team. Yeah, you know, we, we talked about it a little bit last week about how I think, George, you brought up that Forsberg is, is one of the league's very few possession-driving uh, wingers, as you like to say. So he, you know, no matter where you put Forsberg, he's going, to be, he's going to play very positively on a line. I think, you know, I'll, I'll probably get some flack for this from, from Preds fans, but the, the, the magic of the Jofa line is Johansson and Forsberg. Arvidsson is great at, at disrupting uh you know a defense and, and really getting into uh kind of dirty areas right in front of the net he's he's great at, at shielding the goaltender and that sort of thing but it's it's really the the dynamic between Forsberg and Johansson is just so dangerous and I think I agree with you both I think they'll go right back to it once it becomes a possibility 
Um, although, you know, Forsberg has done well you know, c- kind of switching the lines up. Obviously, Arvidsson got that um, pretty awesome goal against Vegas, but which, you know, is, is the kind of thing you expect from Arvidsson, really getting into that kind of area and then, you know, just having the, the drive and the energy to, to really put it, you know, put the puck home. But I think they'll go right back to that Jofa line once it becomes a possibility. Uh, you know that that first and second line tandem has just been has, has been the highlight for the past several weeks now. So um, yeah, I'm sure they're I'm sure the coaching staff is ready to get it all back in, intact. And I think they really miss him uh, on the power play too. By the way, that that power yeah, that the, power, the power play, play has been just really nasty. Bad. <laughs> it's been bad. <laughs> it's so bad. That was I was almost uh, during the Vegas game. You know, it was one of those situations where I would almost rather it stay at five on five. The power play was just, I mean, truly, truly ineffective. They could barely get out of their their own zone. Um, which I, I, you know, I saw people online really criticizing the the coaching staff and, and saying that that was a strategic error. You know, that they're not they don't have the right power play system, and that uh, you know, I think I saw one person suggest that the talent that is on this team, the individual talent, has covered up for that. Um, because obviously, you know, this is I think at this point this is the third best power play in the NHL. Um, with you know, they're they're I forget the exact percentage. It's around you know twenty five percent. Uh, conversion rate on the power play so I, I you know this is an interesting question to to kind of bring up is is do you think that the the power play is actually as good as as it's been producing or you know are there are, i don't know has, has like you said is the is the johansson absence kind of exposed some of the the strategic weakness of it um george i know you're you're kind of famously critical of of special teams and in, in this the Predators' uh, tendency to rely on them. Have have you been impressed by the power play, or, or do you think that it's it's being it's an ineffective system being <laughs> done effectively? I guess uh, the thing I keep coming back to is the breakout, and they they keep doing the same thing over and over again with it. And it's not bad, but they do the they do a classic. You start from behind the net. You have PK Subban or Roman Yossi charge up the ice, and then you have uh, a guy on either side. And then what happens is. Uh, those two guys on the other side kind of fall behind Subban as he as he jumps up, and then the four checker makes him pick a side. Subban goes to that side, drops the puck. The guy that's trailing Subban then crosses it uh, to the other guy that was that was trailing Subban, and then they try to kind of like not like pick and roll, but almost it's like a deceptive or a deception play where you know we're going left, and then all, all, all of a sudden they they go right, and that's fine. It's a good it's a good one, but maybe have a plan B or a plan C because teams have kind of figured out to either stack the box or just uh, the four. I see it. I saw a lot with um, uh, I think with Dallas or with, with another team where their four checkers once they once they met Subban they didn't stop skating. They just kept going at the guy behind him because they knew what was going to happen, and it's resulted in a few pickoffs. Luckily, I don't think it's resulted in any goals so far, but. A team with Roman Yossi and PK Subban on the back end shouldn't be shouldn't be this bad at breaking the puck out on, on and achieving uh, zone entry, especially just because of how good PK Subban and Roman Yossi are at zone entries on uh, five on five. It, I mean, it just shouldn't be this bad. Um, it's you know when I watch 
uh, other teams, um, even Vegas, you know, when it's and you can compare directly in that game, a lot of teams when when that I think it, they they would prefer to come through the neutral zone with speed. Um, you know, with the puck handler and then change the angle, kind of like Nashville does. But it seems that once that doesn't work, everyone defaults to a kind of uh, almost a dump and chase style where because they have the numbers advantage, they dump the puck in behind the net and then they just send all the four checkers in hard and that's how they establish and then they can start to cycle the puck and that sort of thing. But that first uh, kind of first move is to is to dump the puck in. At least that that seems to be everyone's plan B. And Nashville just really, you know, it seems like maybe they, occasionally they'll try that, but then no one forechecks with enough speed to to get the puck, so it just becomes a turnover. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's truly strange that that the team would be at least, you know, I didn't. It's hard to look at the numbers specifically because you know the power play is always going to have you in an advantage, but at least just by watching the game against Vegas truly the team looked so much better at five on five than they did with the man advantage and you just got to think you know there has to be a better way to do this to organize this to to use the team's talents without just turning the puck over all the time they're also getting a little bit lucky on the on the power play just i think they're shooting about 19 percent which is which is like fine because you know it's the power play and shit like that happens but the the most average team uh when it comes to shooting percentage on the power play the new jersey devils shoots about 12 percent and so they they kind of remind me a lot of the Columbus Blue Jackets last year, and I think that Nashville was a better five on five team uh, than Columbus was last year. But there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff to be, be reminiscent about, especially with just how much they relied on the power play uh, early on in the season. And I'm I'm curious once the power play dries up, are they still going to be able to win games? Because I've seen a couple different stats from like Hockey Viz and uh, Michael Blake McCurdy that say that. Yeah, they're only. I think they're only scoring about two goals a game at five on five, which is not enough to win. Uh, you need at least like two point five to three. Um, yeah, I don't know. This is this is becoming an issue, and I th- I kind of think that we all thought that once Phil Housey left, that you know the the special teams would change, but you know clearly we may have been directing the blame to the wrong person. It, it is odd because special teams, is, it's not a new issue for this team. And it's one of the few, you know, as I keep saying, you know, the, the results are coming. So it's very difficult to be overly critical of this team. You know, you don't want to fix something that's not broken. But, it, you know, you've got the defensive breakdowns, the issues on the power play, taking too many penalties, these sorts of things you really want to see the team be proactive about especially you know maybe now that they have they've they're a couple days into a pretty long break here you'd hope that they would take this time to say okay it's been working decently well so far but there are things that we need to fix because they're going to be exposed sooner or later let's fix it now before we get before we start dropping points but it it seems like they're just going to kind of keep slamming their head against this wall at least at least in terms of the power play of, of just they're you know for two minutes straight they're going to try the exact same thing and get the same result and like you said it tends to every now and then they'll they'll allow kind of a shorthanded breakout chance and i mean that's just (laughs) you really don't want to see that at all um you know when you've got the main advantage it's just it's that was like a glaring issue in the in that vegas loss was how bad the power play was and they had almost i think seven nearly seven and a half minutes of a man advantage uh, and even almost a full minute of a five on three that just was completely ineffective. 
Uh, we, we do kind of we're kind of against the clock today, so we'll just kind of we'll we'll turn and, and look at the week ahead. It's a, a big week. Uh, we got to wait till Wednesday till we get a game, but uh, once that starts, they're they're hitting it hard. They've got uh, Wednesday night. They've got a visit to Vancouver. Then the next night they're in Edmonton, and then they'll finish up on the 16th in Calgary. So they got the the Western Canada road trip. And I think this, I'll just, I mean, I've, I was very wrong. I think the last time I did a points prediction, I think I got about, I, I overestimated about twice <laughs> what they actually got. But I'm saying this has got to be a six-point week. Um, I'd, two of these teams are really struggling. Um, well, actually, I say that I think Vancouver is, is vastly overperforming based on what I expected. Um, obviously, they've, they've been led by... Uh, Brock Besser as a kind of their breakout rookie so we'll just start with that we'll start with the Vancouver game obviously we've seen Vancouver this year they they beat Nashville pretty handily in in uh in Nashville uh Corey do you what do you think about this Vancouver team do you think do you think Nashville should win this game should not win this game what, what are your what's your prediction here yeah I, I mean I, th- I think this is the time that Nashville needs to uh, step up and prove that they can win anywhere. Uh, they're doing better on the road this year than they had in the past. Uh, actually, having a winning record on the road at this point in time. But Vancouver struggled recently. I mean, they lost a couple games in a row. Uh, one to Calgary just the other day. Um, you know, they, but they're they have a, a home record of five, six, and three. So they're not. At, they don't defend home ice very well. Having several days of rest for the Predators should bode well for them going into this game and. Uh, hopefully they, you know, they go in and, and you can expect in the first period it's going to be probably nothing. Second period they're going to have to dominate, and uh, I, if they do that, they're going to come away with two points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I I thought I was very frustrated by the loss against Vancouver earlier. Um, it it was a real example of how those those kind of big defensive breakdowns can really cost cost this team a game. Um, they, I thought they played okay, except for those moments where it was just it all fell apart. Um, and I think Besser got two goals in that game, so he was he was just lapping it up. But I think, like you said, I mean, we'll have the they've got a, a few days off. They're going to have hopefully they're going to have uh, a, a healthier lineup, um, probably their healthiest roster in in over a month. You would hope, uh, assuming everybody's timeline stays the same. So really, this is this is going to come down to the mental battle. And if Nashville can win the mental battle, then I think they, they've definitely have the talent to be Vancouver. Um, George, any comments on, on the Vancouver game or are you kind of thinking the same thing? Uh, you just got to be careful. Uh, Henrik Zetterberg, or not Henrik Zetterberg, Henrik Sedin and Daniel Sedin have been relegated to the uh, quote unquote fourth line. And it's not really a big deal, but it is for the Predators because now they're seeing like 75% offensive zone starts over the last few games. Uh, so they're just, you know, they may not be what they used to be. They may not be heart winners anymore, but they're still just, they're still excellent offensive players and they'll still make you pay if you uh, take them lightly. So I'm, I'm a little curious about how that's going to go or how they're going to defend him and them and uh, Besser. I'm a little curious to see w- which defending or which defense pair sees them. If it's, I imagine Subban will probably see uh, the Sedins while Ekholm will probably try to, do his best to neutralize Besser, but I'm not sure it's going to work, especially at Bo Harvet and uh, Sven Berger up to their game. I would just say try to match the, the exact opposite of whatever you did last <laughs> time. You know, I, my my initial re- thought was 
put Subban on Besser and just have him shut shut that down all night. But you're right. I mean, the Sedins are are proving that there's still definitely someone to keep an eye on. They're they're not going quietly. So it will be uh, it will be interesting to see who they trust against both of those different uh, kind of offensive. I should threats. also mention that. Uh, uh, the next night, Bo Horvat and going. Brent Setter are injured. They're on the IR, and they're probably not going to be coming back uh, for for the, in time for this game. So the, okay. they're actually pretty gutted up the middle. So the Predators, this is a game that the Predators should definitely win. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, then I'll I'll keep my prediction at two points for yeah. the Vancouver game. Um, although I'm sure I'll <laughs> I'm sure I'll be eating my words later. Uh, just the night after, I guess on Thursday night, they're gonna Nashville makes a trip to Edmonton to face just a just a hopeless Oilers team. I mean, Edmonton's they had a little bit of a, you could tell it was kind of an emotional victory in in Montreal last night. Uh, I think they won six two, but you got, you just got to think Nashville runs all over them unless there's some serious mental lapses in this this Oilers game. Uh, Corey, are you, are, you, are you have you seen you know anything from Edmonton at all that would suggest that they'll be a little a little more challenging than you, on paper, or, or are you pretty much with me that this should just be a, a sweep? My only hesitation is with it being back to back nights for the Predators. Are we going to see Soros in net, and can he withstand a a um, a presence of Connor McDavid and some others that can score. I mean, we know they, there's the opportunities. The, the team Edmonton's got people on the team that can score. Can the Predators keep them from doing that? Can UC Soros? I'm guessing at this point in time he's going to be in that with back-to-back games on the road like that. Um, especially going against Edmonton, being between uh, you know Vancouver and and um, um, Calgary. I would I would assume Soros is in net there. So can we keep Soros clean? Can we keep can he keep things up? Can we can the defense step up to keep McDavid and others from scoring? I do wonder. I know that Edmonton is one of those teams that Pecorine has just decimated in his career. I mean, the Rene's record against Edmonton is is almost. I mean, it's near undefeated. So I do wonder if they'll put Soros in for this thing. Even though I would say Vancouver is more of an offensive threat than Edmonton, I do wonder. Um, if they'll actually start this road trip with Saros in it, it will be interesting. Though, if they if they put Saros in in Vancouver, um, it will. It, I'm sure it's just because Rene's been so successful against Edmonton that they're they want to keep that uh, kind of trend going. And and you you know you mentioned McDavid. Obviously, this team they've got dry settle. They've they've still got offensive weapons. They just have been so unconvincing this year. Um, I mean, they're they're truly scraping the basement of the NHL. So in terms of standings, um, it, it, I think it'll come down to really just a mental battle from the Predators. Uh, George, I know that you, I think you and I talk somewhat regularly about how bad Edmonton is, but uh, have, you know, maybe the maybe you saw something in that Montreal victory that maybe they'll they'll show some signs of life. Or are you still convinced that uh, you know they should be kind of a pushover? I don't know. This team is really underperforming. Um, obviously, losing Eberle hurts them, and then Ryan Strom really hasn't helped them at all. Uh, they're still just so deep at center that it's like they could still win any game. Um, I guess my my key to the game would be don't start the third pairing in any in any zone start ever. Just have them play purely on the fly. Yeah, I agree. Just because especially when they're away, uh, Tom McCullen is just going to keep matching McDavid to to them, and it's just going to be bad. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, Leon Dreisaitl right now is playing on the, like, quote, third line. 
basically Anton Slepeshev and Nathan Walker, who I'm sure are very fine players, but, you know, he was playing with McDavid a month ago or two months ago on the wing. So I don't necessarily know how well he's been doing with these two guys that really aren't third liners with him. Um, Nugent Hopkins, one of my favorites, good Red red Deer Rebel, uh, playing with Michael Camilleri and Patrick Maroon. That could be dangerous, but Camilleri and Maroon are so underperforming. And the, the Edmonton media has decided that Nugent Hopkins is the next sacrificial lamb that they need to send out to Edmonton to start winning games, which is ridiculous. He's been playing very well this year. So I, I could expect a little bit of a big game from him. Um, but all I know is that the Predators are probably going to win if, if, the, uh, if the Oilers keep playing Chris Russell 20 minutes a night. Well, it sounds like they're, they've had some issues with goaltending, so I really hope Nashville sees that and, and decides, kind of like in this Vegas game, how they should have just, how they should have performed and just said, all right, just crash the slot and, and really make life hard for that goaltender um, and get the ugly goals, and this, this should just be a walkaway win for, for Nashville. But Nashville's not really historically in the business of walkaway wins when you'd expect it, so... Um, perhaps a bit of a trap game but I, I would expect another two points uh, visiting Edmonton even on the back-to-back and they'll close out the week a couple nights later uh, in Calgary I think Calgary is uh, to my mind the, the the Flames are kind of the most dangerous of these three teams but um, I might be proven wrong obviously they they came into Nashville earlier this year and uh, I think they took a shootout victory against Nashville I believe it was perhaps Nashville's first home loss this year or something. It was pretty close. Anyway, they're they're in fourth right now in the Pacific, uh, 34 points, which is uh, pretty pretty far behind where Nashville sits in the Central. I got to think this is another win for the Predators, but going, going undefeated on a long road trip is always going to be difficult. Um, Corey, do you think they can keep it up for, for three games in a row, or, or is Calgary going to finally kind of get the best of them? I wouldn't be surprised if a little revenge was on their mind after what happened to them earlier in the season. Um, you know, the the thing about Calgary is that they do score. I mean, they've got uh, well, they don't score as much as I think they do, but they they do have they do have the opportunity to, to score some goals as as needed. The only problem is they give up so many more goals than they than they actually score. So I'm thinking this should be if we can crash the net, if we can get those high danger chances. And get them to fall like like they have been. Like you know, George said earlier, seventy five percent of those points are seventy five percent of the shots from those places are going in. If we can get some of those, I think Calgary's uh, going to be a, a good win for us. But it's going to take an offensive onslaught to to do it. I think. It, it, Calgary definitely has the has weapons, uh, and and my my kind of predictions going into their first matchup this year was that it was going to be a real defensive showdown. I think. Calgary's really got, um, I would say, a, a top five or maybe even top three defensive group in the NHL, as as does Nashville, you've got to say. So that was my expectation going into their first game. Um, I, it was a lot more offensive than I predicted. But uh, I think on paper you'd expect a very defensive matchup. George, would you agree or you know, have, have injuries to both teams kind of taken away from that a little bit? Or, or should we expect uh, expect at least kind of a low-scoring affair? I don't know, man. I just I don't trust anything anything to be a low scoring affair when Johnny Goudreau is on the ice because he's just been on fire recently. He has thirty seven points so far, and I don't no pun intended, right? Uh, good, good one. <laughs> uh, I don't remember how many games that is this season, but 
he's just he's on fire. Sean Monahan has thirty points. They keep playing Michael Furland with him, and he is sixteen. But I guess it's it's if it works, it works. The uh, the uh, the Flames have the best second line in the NHL with uh, Matthew Kachuk, uh, Mikhail Backlund, and Michael Froelich. Just other teams don't get shots off when when they're on the ice, and they usually start in the offensive zone like forty or like thirty five percent of the time. They're just incredible at getting the puck out of the zone, and they're incredible at just keeping it hemmed in the opposition zone. So I wouldn't like that's going to be a really tough matchup for the tourist line or whoever uh, Glenn Goldson decides to uh, to pair him against. Otherwise, the bottom six is pretty weak. Mark Jankowski is proving to be a pretty good player, but he's a rookie and he's still kind of young, I think, and he's like twenty two or twenty three. So you know you can get him off his game. Sam Bennett's like a non-factor, although I guess he has like 11 points. Oh, good for Sam Bennett. He has 11 points this season. Um, so that's that's better than he has been doing. And then the fourth line is just old and brutal. You got Troy Brower, Matt Sajan, and then Curtis Lazar, who Curtis Lazar is young, and he was a former first-round pick, but he's really a, kind of busting right now. He's pretty bad. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say... Hopefully five or six points in Calgary. Uh, I, I think that's the most dangerous of these three teams that they'll face. But, uh, again, I, it'll come down to the mental battle. D- does the defense have the ability to keep it tight in the back and the forwards uh, match, obviously going going matched against whoever the, the opponents want? So will they be able to kind of adjust to whoever they've they've got to face? Um, it will be interesting. The, the Western Canada road trip is always a little, a little bit of fun, um, usually three pretty good games. So you'd you'd expect more of the same this time around. Um, I'll go ahead and uh, plug plug myself at least on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Wade M one nine nine four. Obviously, I you can find my stuff on Predlines. Uh, tend to write kind of game recaps the day after uh, the day after each game. So if you're into that kind of statistical breakdown, look for my stuff. Uh, George, where can we find your work? Uh, find me on Predlines. You can find me on Twitter at uh, George M ten nineteen. The G and the M are capitalized as always. Uh, yeah, I post some pretty insightful stuff. I like to think, but yeah, who knows? George likes to uh, uh, push the envelope, at least in terms of. <laughs> well, I would say that you 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 bring up very uh, debatable points, which is a good thing. That's a compliment, you know. Things that are are contentious enough that people people like to discuss in depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, Roman Yossi is a is a bomb. Is that right? In his defensive zone, yes. <laughs> You're supposed no, to say sure no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Corey, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me, J. Corey Francis, on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, of course, uh, I'll do a lot of stuff with uh, Predlines, but this is also going to be a big week with the winter, uh, the baseball winter meetings, doing some Chicago Cubs stuff, and, of course, the big thing of all this week, Star Wars, The Last Jedi comes out. So you probably see a lot of that come across your board this week for me because those are some of my favorite things. It's a it's a big month this this December with uh, with uh, Star Wars and Christmas obviously and, and the holidays so yeah it's it's uh, not a bad December we're looking at here finally and uh, it's been light on hockey but that will turn around pretty soon mm. uh, thanks guys for joining us and uh, th- thank you to all our listeners look out for another episode probably next Sunday uh, just tend to make it a weekly thing so until then uh, you guys have a good rest of your weekend see you guys see ya.